Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad that you're here this morning. Those of you who are watching us online right now of a live stream, we're so glad that you're able to join us this morning. We want you to know that if you don't have a church home, we'd love to invite you to come and be a part here with us. Folks, would you just give them a warm welcome and say as an invitation to come and join us. Love to have you sometime. Um, we have a great faith family here where we gather together and we celebrate together and we do life together. Well, tomorrow, Chris and I are going to be heading to Atlanta in the morning. And um, our daughter, Leslie, is going to be giving birth to our second grandchild on Wednesday. She's having a C-section. And Hadley Jane is going to be coming into the world. And so we got Hudson Bow and Hadley Jane. And, um, and I know you've been hearing about them, and I'm sure next week you'll probably see some photos on the screen because I have access to that and nobody can stop me. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm a proud grandparent. So, uh, and, and as we go, just pray for my daughter Leslie as she goes through that. I know that's a, a difficult time, but we're excited about that opportunity to be gone. Uh, we're in a study that we're called um, Faithful, and we're looking at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is the first letter that the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament, and he's writing it to a group of believers who are going through a very difficult time. Yet in that difficult time, they have remained faithful. And what we're doing is unpacking the verses from 1 Thessalonians um, and just looking at how these individuals demonstrated faithfulness in very difficult days and how those days relate to us. And the first week, we looked at the Apostle Paul and his partners of how they got to Thessalonica and that God used unexpected people and unconventional plans to accomplish his purposes. And God gave them an unprecedented peace as they were obedient to God. And then the last two weeks, we've been unfolding the rest of chapter one, and we've been looking at a picture of the model church. Now, they're the model church, and Paul is the one that's talking about them being the model church. In fact, they're the only church in the New Testament that's seen as the model church. And uh, no other church is described in this way. And we discovered why they were the model church. We saw that they were a model church because they were chosen by God, which meant that they were grace-filled people. They didn't live on their own merits. They lived expressly on the grace of Almighty God. They were chosen, but they were changed. There were people who were living changed lives. They made an impact in their culture because they refused to be like their culture, and they were radically changed, and people were being changed because of that. And thirdly, they were a channel. They were a channel of blessings. They were a channel of the gospel. They were sounding forth the gospel in such a way that, that Paul and the disciples didn't even need to say anything because the people were the evangelists and they were going out telling everyone about Jesus. And so that's a model church, a church that is called by God, a church that is changed and living differently than its culture, and a church that is a channel of incredible blessings. When we get to chapter 2 now, we're going to see something totally different. Well, the Apostle Paul has been speaking about the model church in chapter 1. Now he speaks about the kinds of leadership that a model church needs. And what we see in chapter 2 is something different of the Apostle Paul. We see his heart, not as a theologian, but we see his heart as a pastor. 
It is said that if you want to know the mind of Paul, read the book of Romans. You will discover his mind. But if you want to know the heart of Paul, read 1 Thessalonians because you will know his heart. This is a pastor who has a pastor's heart for his people. And what we see in chapter 2 is he lays out for us some principles of leadership. And he begins by talking about the essentials for spiritual leadership. Now, I want you to know we live in a culture today where leadership is premium. Everybody's talking about leadership. And leadership is very important because based upon leadership determines the direction of an organization of its success or its failure. We all know that. All you have to do is look around in football. A coach that doesn't do well with his team ultimately is fired and another coach is going to be found. Um, um, a CEO who is not carrying the bottom line of the profits and is not leading the company forward will be fired and another CEO will be found. And even in the life of churches today, there's so much emphasis on leadership more than any other time. It's probably because in seminary we were taught theology, 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 but the one thing that was lacking is the leadership part in leading and guiding a people. And so there's so many books on leadership today. I bet you I have 15 books easily on leadership in my library, and I've got one in my bag, and I'm leading a group of young men through spiritual leadership. Now, the difference between just basic leadership and spiritual leadership, there's really a difference. All leadership is influence, and it's influence to inspire people, to empower them, and to encourage them to do things that they never thought they were able to do. That's what leadership is. It's empowering people and encouraging people to do the things that God has gifted them with. Now, as we look at the church, we can look at spiritual leadership. And when we talk about spiritual leadership in the church, who do we normally think of? We think of the pastors. Oh, he's going to start talking about the pastors in the church. True, we do. We talk about the pastors, those who are paid pastors and non-paid. We had elders, pastors in our church. Those who are maybe serving as deacons and those are the leadership. But while that is the overarching leadership in the life of a church, the pastors and the deacons, there is spiritual leadership that flows from that to every person who serves in the ministry of a church. And every person who serves in the ministry of a church is a spiritual leader in some way. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and I want to show you five essentials for spiritual leadership in the body of Christ. Five essentials that the Apostle Paul himself lays out. Now we have a great example because Paul is one of us. But Paul was one of the greatest leaders that we see in all the New Testament. And he was an incredible leader in the churches that God called him to serve. So open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This morning we're going to go to verse 6, and I want you to see the five essentials for spiritual leadership. Here's what Paul says. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with works of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Join me as we pray. Father, we ask that you would encourage our hearts today as we seek to lead you and to, to lead others for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Apostle Paul begins by giving us five essentials for spiritual leadership. And we're talking about a leadership that's based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. What does that look like in the church? What kind of leadership should we have? And what kind of leaders should we be? Well, the Apostle Paul begins with number one. He says, a spiritual leader has confidence in God's power. Spiritual leaders begin with the confidence in the power of God. The Apostle Paul had great confidence in God's power. No matter where he went, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter what the opposition was, he had this confidence that God could overcome any situation. We see this, as he says in verse 2. He says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. Remember, they got to Thessalonica by way of Philippi. They go to Philippi, they stop there, they preach the gospel, they have great success People are coming to faith in Christ, but the people in Philippi begin to rise up against this new message of Jesus and him crucified. So what do they do? They have them arrested. He says that we suffered. They were actually stripped, beaten publicly, and they were tortured in a way in front of all the people. And it says they treated shamefully. The word there is a legal term, which means they were not giving due course in court. They did not have a trial, and they were thrown in prison into the stocks, all for preaching the gospel. Now, when the officials heard that they were Roman citizens, they became very afraid because no Roman citizen is to be mistreated or put in jail without a trial. So they were afraid, and they sent Paul and Silas on their way. Now, I'm wondering, as Paul and Silas are walking away, I'm wondering what they're thinking. I'm wondering if they said, you know, maybe we came on too strong to those people with the gospel message. You know, maybe we should have watered the message down a little bit. Maybe we should have made it more palatable. Maybe we should have taken some of their customs and brought it in with the message of the gospel. Maybe we should have just eased the gospel in. Maybe we should have just done it in such a subtle way that they didn't even know they were hearing the gospel and they won't even know that they're really saved. They didn't do that. They preached the gospel with boldness. And even though they were beaten and mistreated, when they went to Thessalonica, they did not change their method. They did not change their way of proclaiming the gospel. Why? They believed the gospel was the gospel of God. They believed the gospel was the power of God into salvation. And they knew that it wasn't based upon their persuasion or their methodology or what they could do to talk people into the gospel it was simply preaching it with boldness and trusting the absolute power of God in the midst of it. 
And that's what they did all through their ministry, from town to town to town. Their confidence was not in their ability. Their confidence was in the power of God. And no matter what the opposition was, they had such a confidence in God that it drove them to be bold everywhere they went, all the way to the prison where Paul was executed under Nero. You see, here's the truth. Every spiritual leader needs to find confidence in the power of God. There's nothing worse for, than for a spiritual leader who has lost confidence in the gospel. But the leader, the spiritual leader, who understands that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, that it's not based upon him or her to persuade anybody, but they can just speak it and they can trust that God's work will be done in his way, in his time. And the spiritual leader knows that. Whether he's the pastor or a pastor in the life of the church, whether it is a person who's a spiritual leader in the children's ministry, a spiritual leader in the, in the student ministry, a spiritual leader with our college students, a spiritual leader among adults, a spiritual leader, whether it's on the mission field or a small group, whoever that spiritual leader is, your confidence always needs to be in the power of God because you're going to run into some kids that you're going to think, oh, I don't know how God's going to do the work in that kid. You're going to run into some teenagers and think, how in the world am I going to reach him? He's got his arms folded every week. He is way too cool for the message of the gospel. You're going to run into couples whose marriage is about falling apart. You're going to run into a senior adult who has never walked with God and has been his whole life an unbeliever and is very suspicious. You're going to walk into people who are rejecting the message of the gospel. Well, I want to tell you something. When you and I believe in the power of the gospel, it is the gospel that can change every human heart. And every spiritual leader in the life of this church needs to have absolute full confidence that when you stand before those children in the preschool and you're teaching them truth after truth after truth, and you stand before those teenagers and you're teaching them truth after truth after truth, that we stand in the authority of the power of God's word. I come here week in and week out. I preach my heart out on this platform. Why? Because I believe in the power of God and what he can do in the lives of people. Many years ago, we were in Ecuador, and as our team was serving, we were getting set up on a Thursday night. It was the last night that we were there. We were in a little town called Mindo, and Mindo is the bird-watching capital of the world. I was in Mindo one day, and I was jogging early one morning, and all those Ecuadorians thought, you Americans are crazy. You're running, and nobody's chasing you. Although I did have a few dogs chasing me. And so I'm running around and I see this guy walking and he's taking pictures and he's got a full beard. And I said, well, he's either American or European. And so I run over there to him. I said, where are you from? Man, I'm from Hickory, North Carolina. <laughs> in Mindo. And so anyway, we set up in Mindo on a Thursday night. Pastor Freddie was the pastor, but also worked on the town council. And he let us use... This, this room, this community center to show the Jesus film. How many of you have ever seen the Jesus film? You have, you, you've seen it? It came out in the 70s. It came out in, they haven't changed it since the 70s. It looks like a 70s picture, afros and all. And so we're showing the Jesus film. 
And we get everything set out. We sent flyers out all over town, letting everybody know that the Jesus film is going to be shown at 7 o'clock here. We're going to have hot chocolate. We're going to have candy for the kids. We're going to have warm bread for the adults. That's what they like. That's what I like. And uh, I put candy in the bread. You know, eat the chocolate. It's all good. And so they are, we send all this out. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. 7 o'clock, nobody shows up. Nobody's there. Then somebody walks up and said, nobody's coming. We said, why? They said, because the Catholic priest in town heard about the Jesus film and he called a special mass tonight at seven o'clock. He commanded everybody to be at that service and no one can go to yours. And so we gathered. We said, what are we going to do? So we're here. Let's pray. And let's just simply pray for God's power. And we prayed and we prayed and we said, we're going to wait on them. People got to walk by. People are going to be going home. They're going to want some hot chocolate. Their kids are going to want some candy. We got some warm bread. And so what happened to people started walking. They funneled in. We filled the place up. We showed the Jesus film from the 70s. And that night, 12 people came to faith in Christ. Why? It's not anything we did. It's the power of God. And we had confidence that God's power can change circumstances and people. If you're a spiritual leader in the life of this church, regardless of what you do, your confidence is not in what you do, how you say it. Your confidence needs to be in the absolute power of Almighty God, and He is able to impact and change the life of any individual through the message of the good news of Jesus. Amen? Here's the second... Yeah. Essential. Not only are we to have confidence in God's power, a spiritual leader has a commitment to God's truth. We have a commitment to the truth of God. The Apostle Paul was absolutely committed to the truth of God. There were so many false teachers in Thessalonica. There were so many um, hustlers. There were so many people that were trying to teach one philosophy after another. There were so many deceivers in there. And Paul is in the midst of all of these. And he reminds the Thessalonians of this. For our appeal does not spring forth from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Our appeal, our proclamation, our preaching to you, the gospel, is not mixed with error. It's not in any kind of impurity. And it's not meant to deceive. We're going to teach you the true gospel, and we're not going to swerve from that. Now, when he says it's not mixed with error, the word error in the Greek gives us the English word planet. And the word planet is used because planets wander in the universe. And that was used in that day of people wandering from philosophy to philosophy, and they'd move to this philosophy. Well, it doesn't help. Then they move to this philosophy. It doesn't help. And then they move to this one. Then they combine these together. And it was a thing of drifting. He's saying the gospel does not drift. The gospel is solid and always remains the same. Then he says, we didn't use impurity. Here's what he means. We didn't take the thoughts of culture and bring them in with the message of the gospel. We didn't try to accommodate what the world is saying and make it more palatable by softening the gospel and bringing it in. We're not going to cause the gospel to be impure. Then he says we came without deception. We're not going to bait and switch you. We're going to tell you the truth. We're going to be honest with you. 
We're going to tell you that you're a sinner. We're going to tell you that your sin deserves a price. We're going to tell you that you must repent of your sin. We're going to tell you you must surrender to Christ, and in that you have a relationship with him. They refused to change the message of the gospel. And the apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he was like that. From culture to culture to culture. And as culture changed, Paul remained true to the gospel. Paul was a guardian of the gospel. Then he writes to his young protege, Timothy. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Then he says to him in 2 Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Spiritual leaders, listen to me. Here's what he is saying, that every single one of us must guard the good deposit of the truthfulness of the gospel. We cannot mix it with the philosophies of the world. We cannot water it down because it doesn't go well with our culture. We cannot make it more palatable by saying that it is an easier gospel. We tell people the truth, and we stay true on the word of God. And even though our culture drifts further and further from truth, we always teach the truth. To our teenagers, we teach the truth in a culture that tells them that everything we're saying is not right. We teach the truth to college students who are going to a university and they're teaching them something different than a biblical worldview. We teach the truth to adults who are absolutely inundated by the lies of the world. We teach the truth in everything we do and we refuse to compromise the message of the gospel and the demands of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A spiritual leader must be committed to truth at all cost. Now, you and I know we're living in a culture where the gospel has been accommodated in so many areas and so many philosophies have been brought into the church and uh, because of that, the church has slowly been changing its position away from the gospel. This past year, I had the opportunity to do a wedding. And, and as I was doing the wedding, there was a, a lady during the reception when I was in the food line came up to me. And she said, you probably don't remember me. But I was at your church many years ago after you first got there. We have some family members from your church and I went. And I came with my partner, who is a woman. We were, le we were lesbians. And I sat, and we sat on the third row. And while we sat on the third row, you began to preach about what the Bible says about homosexuality. And you came down pretty hard on it. And when we left there, I felt, man, something's wrong with my heart. I was really troubled over that message because I was conflicted in where I was in my life. But then I began to hang out with my friends, and they were all telling me that, oh, no, he's wrong, he's wrong. No, here's what we believe. And then I came to understand, you know what? You were wrong. And here's how I came to understand that. Over these years, I've been visiting numerous churches. And as I visited those churches, those churches once held that homosexuality was wrong, and now they're open to it. 
In fact, we are now attending a church that is open to homosexuality, and we were actually married in that church. Here's my question to you. As the culture has changed and the mindset of people have changed, have you changed your position on homosexuality? And I put my plate down, and I just grabbed her by the shoulders, and I said, I have not changed my position on what God's word says about homosexuality. I haven't. But I have changed my approach in how I share it because I have been insensitive in the past. And I've done it with a judgmental spirit. And if I've done anything to offend you in a judgmental spirit, I need you to forgive me for that. But here's what you need to know. The issue isn't a specific sin over another sin. We're all sinners. We're all separated from God. The issue is this. What do I do with my sin? Because here's what you need to know. Jesus died to save us from our sin. But he did not die so we can continue to live in our sin. And she just looked at me and she said, thank you for your honesty. That really meant a lot to me. And she went and sat down. You see, the truth is we can stand on the truth of the gospel. And we can do it in a way that's sensitive and yet truthful. And we need to do that. And a spiritual leader says, you know what? I'm not going to compromise on the truth. Those of you as spiritual leaders in the life of this church, do not compromise on the truth. Stay in the truth. Teach those little teenagers the truth. Teach those kids in the nursery the truth. Precept upon precept as you continue to teach. And as you teach the truth of God's word, then we remain faithful to the gospel at all costs. Here's the third thing. A spiritual leader has a calling by God's will. Paul tells us a spiritual leader has a calling by God's will. Paul tells us about his own calling. He says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Why do we speak? Because we're approved by God. We've been called by God. Approved by God in the Greek text means this, tested and set apart. God tested Paul, set him apart, and he was approved. And because he was approved by God, listen to this, he has the authority to speak the word of God. Every pastor on this staff has been called and approved by God. And so we speak. We have the authority to speak the word of God. Every lay pastor has the authority to speak the word of God. But every single spiritual leader in any ministry in the life of this church is under the, the, the leadership of our pastors. And by their decision and their choosing, on many cases, you serve in positions. And as you serve in leadership positions, you too have been given the authority to speak the word of God. And just as we are called to specific positions, so are you. Many of you are called to work with children. That's a wonderful thing. Many of you are called to work with middle schoolers. Bless your heart. Many of you are called to work in teenagers. Many of you are called to work with college students. We can go on and on. You're called to various areas. Your calling is no different than our calling. Because you have been called as a leader by God. And so you speak. 
And you have the authority to speak the word of God in its purity and with conviction. The Apostle Paul talks about his own calling. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Then he goes on. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. And here's the point. As you serve in the life of this church, God has called you and set you apart to do that. And you do that with the authority that God has given you. Here's the fourth point. A spiritual leader has a clear conscience in God's service. A spiritual leader has a clear conscience as he or she serves God. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? Here's how Paul puts it. He says, he's not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. In other words, he's saying our hearts and our motives are pure. Why am I serving? Why am I a spiritual leader? To please God above all things. It's not to please men. I'm not serving to please you. I'm not serving so I can get some accolades from you. I'm not serving so I can get some kind of benefit from you. I'm not serving so I can use this as a stepping stone to get better and bigger opportunities which will serve me and my ministry. That's not the purpose of a spiritual leader. A spiritual leader serves for the pleasure of the Father, and it's not for his own benefit. The Apostle Paul in this uses two terms that kind of shows how the false teachers in that day, they use these for their benefit. One is flattery. Flattery. You might say, how is flattery used for their benefit? Well, let me explain it to you. Flattery and gossip are both sins. They really are. But they're opposite. I've shared this with you before. Gossip is something you would say behind somebody's back that you would never say to their face. You know, you talk about them, about how bad they are, but when you're in their face, you would never talk about how bad they are. It's something you say behind their back that you never say to their face. Flattery is something you would say to their face, but you would never say behind their back. It's like, oh, yeah, nice haircut. And you walk away and you think, golly, where did she go to get that? <laughs> you would never say that behind her back. But flattery is a form of manipulation. Flattery is like trying to get you to like me and I'm going to build you up and I'm going to say nice things about you. And spiritual leaders do this all the time. I've seen it. Hey, you know what? That guy has a beach house. I'm going to go over there and be his friend. Then all of a sudden, here comes the flattery. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're, so, you, you, you're such a wonderful person in the, in the kingdom's work here. This, I'm so drawn to you. I want to spend time to you. Do you have a key to your beach house? That's flattery. Flattery. And the motive of a person in a spiritual leadership position can use people for his own gain. And then he talks about this. Pretext for greed. A pretext for greed. The, the word pretext in the, in, the, he, in, the, in the Greek literally means a cloak. It's a covering to cover up my intentions. 
The false teachers had a pretext for greed. They would put this cloak on and people couldn't see what their real intentions is. But when you pull the cloak back, it's all greed for themselves. And we cannot use our positions so that we can get some kind of personal gain for our own benefit. It's not about us. I have a rule here that I have practiced as a pastor on staff ever since I've been here. Some people don't understand why I do this, but this is what I do. A lot of times pastors get accused of trying to get certain benefits and pleasures and, and from other people. Um, I've heard pastors say to people, hey, you're a carpenter, aren't you? Hey, do, do you have special pastor's rates? Can, can you come and do me a favor? You're a carpenter. Hey, you're a plumber. Hey, you know what? Can you help me out over here? Help me save a few bucks here and stuff like that. Can you do that? Hey, 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 hey you're, you're a pressure washer. You wash people's houses. What kind of deal do you give to a senior pastor? You know, I don't ever do that. Here's what I do. Anybody I hire and anybody I've ever hired, I ask them this. And I tell them this. Now, I want to hire you because I want your business. But if I hire you, I want you to charge me what you would charge anybody else. I do not want you to come and give a special pastor's rate. This is your livelihood. This is how you make your living. And I don't want to take advantage of that. And I will pay you if you charge me whatever you charge other people. I had a guy who was pressure washing my house. He said, oh, pastor, I'll do yours for free. I said, no. If you won't charge me, I'll find somebody else and they'll pay me and I'll pay them. He said, really? I said, yes. So come and do it and do it. Now, that doesn't take away. If you want to bless your pastors with a gift or a gift card, that's fine. That's encouragement. But we should never put ourselves in a position where our motives become in check. Because here's the real thing. Every spiritual leader does it to please God. We don't serve so people can pat us on the back. We don't serve so we can get accolades and awards. We don't serve so we can use this as a stepping stone to some greater opportunity. We serve to honor God because he knows our hearts. And if you're serving in some obscure area that nobody ever sees, God sees it. If you're serving with some, some area in the life of the church, do it for God and for him alone. Number five, a spiritual leader is consumed with seeking God's glory. A spiritual leader is consumed with seeking the glory of God. That's pretty self-explanatory. Paul says it. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul could have said, listen, we're your leaders. You must do these things. But he didn't because he said this, it's for God's glory. And everything I do is going to be for the glory of God. Let me say two things. If you're a guest here this morning, you're watching us online, that is the kind of spiritual leadership we aspire to at Scotts Hill. That's the kind of spiritual leadership we want from every pastor and every person serving in the life of this ministry. We want to be faithful leaders because God has called us to be a faithful church. And when God calls us a faithful church, we have faithful leaders who have an absolute confidence in God's power. 
that he can do anything. And we trust him no matter where we are. We have a commitment to God's truth that we're going to stay true on the word of God regardless of what our culture has to say. We have a calling by God's will, and he has given us the authority to speak forth his word in truth. We have a clear conscience. It's for him. It's for him. And we seek to glorify him at the end of the day, no matter what I do and what God has called me to be. This is our goal. The church that has those kinds of leaders is a church that is blessing the heart of God. And the church that has those kinds of leaders stays true to its focus and its purpose. And the church that has those kinds of leaders is a church that will impact its community. I want to challenge all of our spiritual leaders to be that kind of leader. Your pastors have made a commitment to be these kinds of pastors. Your elders have made a commitment to be these kinds of elders. As spiritual leaders, no matter where you work in the life of this church, this, these are the essentials of spiritual leadership. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song and we're going to go out. And the song just encourages us to follow him anywhere, wherever he calls us. And as we seek to be the model church with model leadership, we seek to please the heart of the Father in all things. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a reminder today of who we are called to be. And Father, as we make a commitment to you right now to be these kinds of leaders, Father, would it so honor you that you bring great blessings among us in our community like we've never seen. Father, I pray for every leader in the life of this church that you would spur our hearts on to faithfulness. And we would know that every Sunday, every Wednesday, Every time we're with a group, we have the opportunity to speak truth and that your word will bring about change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.